Looking from the pulpit real quick, let me say hi. Uh, it's good to see Anita DeWitt and Sister Lorraine Davis back there in the back. They've been, Lorraine's been in California for almost two months now. And uh, at 93 years old-ish, she's still traveling around. That's pretty good. Amen. But I appreciate you taking the time to, this morning to be in service with us. We have been this summer in what's been entitled the Summer School of the Spirit. Now, we're going to extend and we're going to go into the school year. Uh, we can't just emulate and match the school year because we're not finished with our journey. But I want to remind you where we've been. I want to remind you of the type of preaching that I have been doing during this particular series, which is not the normal order of preaching for me. It is a line upon line, verse upon verse reading with some measure of uh, just expounding upon the text to help you and I to discover the principles that are contained in the book of Romans towards arriving at a conclusion where we are fully aware of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer that empowers us to live and to walk holy before God. Come on, somebody. And it's a journey of discovery, discovering the truths that the Apostle Paul was privy to, that God had illuminated his eye, perhaps even beyond the other apostles, in the revelation that the Holy Spirit has been given to do what the law could not do. The Holy Spirit creates in us life. The law could not give life. Though we have learned to value the law through this series, perhaps valuing it deeper than what we have done so previously, but we've also seen its limitation. We've journeyed. Our journey, again, the conclusion is in Romans 8. Though the book doesn't conclude till the 16th chapter. But the 9th chapter, Paul shifts his attention to another subject. But the 8th chapter is the conclusion of this journey that he was bringing. The revelation concerning the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. That the Mosaic law, as powerful and as, as productive as it was, could not produce justification. And so he began the journey in the first chapter by showing us the depravity of man. Mankind, apart from Christ, is depraved. He's wicked. It doesn't matter how good, how, how much you can paint him on the outside. Inside, he's immoral and unholy. You know, the old adage that was taught years ago through some of the Word of Faith movement is this, that you can take a pig out of the pig pen. And you can bring him in your house and allow him to live there. You can paint his toenails. You can put clothes on him. But the moment you open the door, he's going to find the first mud hole he can find. Because it's in his nature to be a pig. And man, apart from God, is in a fallen state. He is uh, separated from the life of God through unbelief and through transgression of the law because he inherited a spiritual DNA that was tainted by Adam's transgression that we alluded to last week. The law was given not to produce justification. The law, or the law was given to cause us to be aware that we were sinners. Now, we've learned that it had value to Israel to keep them from adopting the practices of the Canaanites who were especially and explicitly moral, uh, immoral and unholy. And their practices, you, even in our depraved culture in which we live today in America and in the Western world, we would still hang our heads in utter disbelief if we were to take the time and go back and look at the practices of the Canaanites. And so the law was given. Moses even said it. I'm giving you these laws. God is giving you these laws so that you won't adopt the practices 
of the Canaanites, but it still would not produce justification. It could not take away the penalty of their transgression. They found themselves lawbreakers. They broke the Mosaic law. They found themselves guilty before God. Ultimately, Paul is writing in the fourth chapter that we journeyed to where he brought the revelation that justification, the need to be released from the penalty of sin, to be, a, to be declared uh, just before God, cannot take place by attempting to adhere to the law, but it can only take place by faith in Christ. And he brought us through the, 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 the example of Abraham. Everybody remembers the example set by Abraham, that Abraham believed God King James English word, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. It means, the word impute means it was counted. It was an accounting term. We'll see an accounting term in our text today. It meant that when God looked at him, he simply began to account him as righteous. That God acquitted him of any transgression, even though he did not sin according to the Mosaic law because it had not been given. But because he believed God, God said, I'm going to call you righteous. And so all of us that are of faith, we are declared righteous in similar manner as Abraham was. Come on, somebody. Now, Paul expounded more about that in Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4 rather than in Romans uh, 4. Romans 4 just transitioned us. And we were last week in the fifth chapter of Romans, and we're going to pick it up in a few moments around the 15th verse of the fifth chapter. Uh, and, and, but, but we're going to backtrack for just a moment because in the, in the, in the verses 1 through uh, 14, Paul began a discourse that began to expound to us about what sin, and, uh, what sin is and what it had brought into the world. Now, Paul did not necessarily define sin in the book of Romans, but John the Beloved did in his epistle. In the third chapter, he said that sin is transgression of the law. Now, and so God had a, both a moral law and an oral law. The moral law, he spoke it into Adam, and he held man accountable to it, even though it was not yet in the, a written law. But when we transgress against the moral law or we transgress against the oral law, then that would be called sin. And therefore, even though we were born sinners with the nature and the capacity to sin, we are also sinners by action. Every one of us were born sinners because we were born in the lineage of Adam. By one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. Death passed upon to all men because all have sinned. Remember Romans 3 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. God looked upon every man, past, present, and future, and found that all were sinners. So redemption was not found in mankind. The redemption would be found in one man, Jesus Christ. By one man, sin entered the world and death passed to all men. So therefore, because that death came by one man, life would come by one man. And that one man is Christ Jesus. Amen? And so we talked about what it was like to have a newborn spirit. We kind of narrowed our attention towards the 10th, 11th, and the 12th. And the third, actually it was the 12th, 13th, and the 14th verses that talked about death. And I, I, if you were here Wednesday night, we went into much greater depth about what it is to have a reborn spirit. The reality is this today. If you are genuinely and authentically born again, I'm not talking about religious. I'm not talking about attending church. I'm not talking about being called a Christian by the world because the world will call you a Christian just because you got a cross on your neck. But a lot of people will die and go to a devil's hell with a cross on their neck. 
Because just, you know, just having an icon of something does not mean that you have an experience that brings you into new life. But what brings you into new life is being born again, being born by the Holy Spirit of God, putting your faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for you and I. That's the only means to justification, to be acquitted of our transgressions because twofold, we discovered in the last two weeks, both on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, that we were sinners by nature because we were born in the lineage of Adam, but we were also sinners by action because we had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so therefore death, both spiritual death and physical death passed to all men. But if we are born again, then we've received the Spirit of God. We're a whole new breed of people that are in the earth today. From the day of Pentecost until now, actually even a little bit before that, when Jesus breathed upon his disciples the breath. Remember that in, the, in that room that he met them. When he said in John, the Bible says, he said, Tell my disciples I will meet them in Galilee. When he appears to them there, the scripture says that he breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Why did he say that? You say, well, pastor, the Holy Spirit came later in, on the day of Pentecost. Yes, to empower the believer. The Holy Spirit came. But to regenerate the believer, to call somebody who now believes in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice, and all those men did, they believed in their heart that Jesus had gave his life's blood on the cross. Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Why is the word chosen breathed upon? Because it connects us to what took place in the Genesis. God had taken man from the dust of the clay or the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. But when Adam sinned in the garden, then it seems that the Holy Spirit vacated and man is a soul with a spirit that doesn't have the life of God connected to it. He lives in a body. But when Jesus Christ gave his blood on the cross, he allowed now God through Christ to be able to breathe life into man once again. And so on that day, he breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. And it's my belief in that moment that the Spirit of God entered inside of them and they were born again, born from above. They they looked the same outwardly, but on the inside, they could commune with God in a way that they could not previously. And every one of us that have been born again, we understand that experience. Come on, somebody. Because we began to commune with God when we were saved at the heart level, not just the head level. Right? And so that's where we've arrived at in Romans chapter 5. And again, we're just going to pick it up. Now, the problem with this entire series and this teaching is there's no good place to end. So it's just one of those moments like if you were on a great journey uh, and that every part of the journey was blessed that you just, you just have to stop. Stop because the day has run down. But it doesn't mean you're at your destination. But you have fulfilled the course for today and that's what we're going to do. Before we go to Romans 5, we're going to read a scripture text as a prelude to it and then we're going to pray and we're going to just go into the word for just a little while today. Remember, this is very unique for me pastorally. I don't have a beginning or an ending. I don't have three points. I just got the scriptures and we're just asking God to speak to us by the scriptures and everybody said amen. That's okay. We're trying to correct some of the biblical illiteracy that we see in our culture today. Come on. And I want to ask you to go ahead and stand up today in the honor of the reading of Scripture. We're going to be in Titus 2, verses 11 through 15, before we turn to Romans. We'll read Romans just from our seated position. Because we're going to talk about grace today. Now, as we do so, 
Let me share with you real quickly. I'm going to define some biblical words for you just so that you can understand them today and we'll all be on the same page. I think that can help us. This, is, uh, this will help us to think similarly when, we're, when I'm talking and using these biblical acronyms. Sin, as has already been mentioned, is the transgression of the law. A sinner is one who has broken the law. But he is also a sinner by action and both by nature. So both uh, a sinner by nature and by action. Death, as we might use the word, is both physical and spiritual. Right? Because when you are saved and born of the Holy Spirit, eternal life dwells on the inside of you. But because of Adam's transgression and death passed to all men, then the last enemy that will be defeated is the physical death. Jesus has already triumphed over it, but you and I are still dying physically. But one day, come on, but one day, the last enemy will be defeated and we'll live with immortality in the presence of God. Life, as it's used in our passage, is both abundant life and eternal life. And I believe a believer ought to have both. Not only should you have eternal life dwelling on the inside of you, but you should live an abundant life. Come on now, you missed a great place to say amen. You ought to walk in the favor of God. You should live your life with joy. Come on, even in the midst of difficult days, God can still give you joy by the power of his Holy Spirit. But the key word, or before we get to the key word, well, what about mercy? Mercy is pardon. Mercy is when you're forgiven of your sin. Mercy is when you've been deemed Guilty, but God has mercy on you and acquits you of the charges that have been previously laid against you. That's what mercy is. But there's a difference between mercy and grace. I thank God that they correlate to each other, that mercy precedes grace. Mercy, God forgives us, but grace, God favors us. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? See, the judicial system in America can acquit you of your charges. They can release you of any crimes that our legal system has laid against you. They can unlock your jail if you have been charged with a crime and you're in jail. And they can let you out. And you know what they'll do? They'll put you on the doorstep of the jailhouse. And they will leave you to however you see fit. As long as you don't break crime or or commit crimes. You might have $30, $100. But see, God doesn't just acquit us. God doesn't just release us of charges. But God favors us. Come on, somebody. Are you all with me here? So grace, as many of you know, is unmerited favor. And we understand a measure of that. But it is also an empowerment not to sin, but to serve. Are you all hearing me today? It's an empowerment to do God's will. It's not just, again, as it's been taught so often, acquittal from crimes. But it's an empowerment to do what you previously could not do. Before you were saved, you couldn't serve God because you were bound to the flesh. But now you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. I can now do all things through Christ who dwells on the inside of me. And I can serve God. So now with that in mind, let's read Titus, 1, or Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God. What is that grace? It's that unmerited favor that empowers me to do God's will. That brings salvation has appeared to all men. And that grace will teach me that I can deny ungodliness. That's good preaching right there. I didn't preach it. Paul did. Paul did. Deny ungodliness and worldly lust that I can live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present age. You can do it. You couldn't previously do it. The law couldn't keep you from doing it. But now the Spirit of God can empower you to live godly before God and to walk holy before Him. Look at this to conclude this passage and then we'll pray. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed. Come on now. That's our acquittal. And purify us for himself come on he's prepared us for himself paul later wrote in ephesians that we've been ordained to walk in good works purify for himself his own special people you are special before god you are unique in that god saved you and changed you and you are a people that are zealous for good works and here's what my job is i'm supposed to speak these things and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise you. Just so you'll know if you get ready to throw a brick, a rock, or a stone, I'm skinny, number one. If I turn like this, it can go right by, so you better have good aim. <laughs> but I'm to preach this word with all authority and let nobody despise me. It's life to you. It will feed your soul and free you from the obligation of religion and rather the empowerment to serve God. Come on, somebody. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're honored to be in this house. What a privilege it is to know you. Now, God, our dependency is upon the Holy Spirit. I, had, I don't have a word. I don't have a sermon. I don't have a lecture. I don't have a teaching. All I have is your word, Father, and may you illuminate it to our eyes today, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. If we can, let's go back. If we, if y'all will allow me to turn to the book of Romans here. And let's just journey. And let's just talk as we journey and let the Holy Spirit just write some of these things on the tablet of our heart. Now remember, as a pastor, I had been trained to bring a sermon to you. And it's a little bit of a faith journey for me to arrive with the courage to stand behind a lectern where I am kind of exposed to you that I don't have a sermon. I just have the scriptures. And I want the Holy Spirit to help empower this journey so that we can arrive in Romans, the eighth chapter, with the knowledge of what God has done inside of us by his spirit. He's not taking the law and putting the bondage of the law upon his children. He's delivered us from the law, but he's empowered us by his Holy Spirit to do what we were incapable of doing previously. We were ending in the 15th verse, the 14th verse last week. So rather, I want to go ahead, and I know, I know kind of where we're going in the 6th chapter, but we're going to conclude by at least read this, whether or not we discuss it much. Let's just read it. The free gift is not like the old fence. So here's a comparison that the apostle is making. He's saying it's really even not fair that we compare these two because the one supersedes the other by so much. For if by one man's offense many died, that's Adam, and thus much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. Just as many were affected by Adam's transgression, many are affected by the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Amen. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So it is in essence a comparison, but the gift exceeds in comparison that which was created by the transgression. Notice this, the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. 
but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. All men were condemned as sinners because of Adam's transgression. But because of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, all who believe are declared just before God. That's a powerful position that you and I can live our life in. That will cause your head to be lifted up when you know God declares you as just. He no longer looks at you in light of your sin or your transgression, but he looks at you and he declares you justified by faith in Christ Jesus. What a powerful position that is. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more... Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. God designed us to reign. What are we going to reign over? We're going to talk about in a moment of time. But let's go further. Therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam's transgression, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, his death on the cross, the free gift came to all men. It's available to every man. Unfortunately, not every man has heard of the acquittal and the release and the, and the empowerment that's available to all men. That's why as he wrote later in the 10th chapter, he said, How will they hear without a preacher? Blessed are those who are sent. Blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. And preaching is not confined to a pulpit. All of us that have experienced this grace have been empowered to preach about the good things God's done in our lives and to share with lost men that they can be free from two things, from sin and their obligation to sin, but they can also be free, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, from the penalty of sin. What a freedom and a privilege that is that we get to share. And you and I get to share that. For as by one man, 19th verse, his disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered. We talked about this previously. I'm gonna, it's, it's Paul doesn't just mention this one time, but he mentions this throughout the book of Romans, that the law, one of the main purposes of the law was that the offense might abound to arrest us, to convict us of our sin. Again, we had sinned before our awareness of the law. He's going to make that argument more clearly in the seventh chapter, so I won't go there as of yet today. But the law entered that the offense might abound that man might realize that he has broken the moral law of God. He's broken the oral and the written law of God, and therefore he is guilty before God. The law comes to expose to us that we need somebody to relieve us of the, uh, of the penalty for our transgression. Sin might abound, so it might be brought to our awareness. And let's read further. But where sin abounded... Come on now, grace did much more abound, King James English. Come on, where sin and transgression and where the law condemned and where the law said you're guilty and you deserve a just punishment, grace has stepped in, pulled back its uniform and revealed the giant S on the chest. Grace says, I'll step in and acquit them of the charges that the law lays against them. And not only will I acquit them of the charges, I'm going to empower them to now do what they previously could not do, and that is serve God in holiness and in righteousness. So where sin abounded, grace has abounded all the more, much more, New King James English. 21st verse, so that as sin reigned in death, 
even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank God for the grace of God. Now remember, we're fighting against, as we begin to transition into this sixth chapter, certain continuation, a continuation of doctrinal beliefs that were held all the way back in the first century and that this doctrine has permeated the, the, the fabric of the church for many years and is, is certainly rampant in our culture today. And that is that if we live under the grace of God, then we are free to, in essence, do whatever our fleshly desires might dictate. And some, unfortunately, hold that. Not all, but some certainly, unfortunately, hold that doctrine. But Paul addresses this as he transitions in this sixth sixth chapter. And let's begin to look at it today. Because we're going to have to talk about this issue. And a lot of people still don't like to talk about it. And that is sin. The nature of sin and the action of sin. Often you will hear me say the motion of sin. The transgression of the law. What shall we say then, Paul? Ask the question. Shall we continue in grace? Now, if, again, the law was given that sin might abound, that it might be recognized, that it might be recognized by the law, he says, shall we then continue to sin that grace may abound? And the obvious answer to that is what? Certainly not, he says. For how? But here's the revelation. Because all of us that are still in the flesh, the thing that we want to do is we want to overcome sin. We want to arrive at the place where we can say with John. In 1 John 2, verse 1, John said these words, Beloved, I write unto you that you sin not. Come on, somebody. I don't want to get up every day and say, Man, I hope to sin today. I'm going to get up every day saying, God, I want to work and walk in the kingdom of God and be led by the Spirit and sin not. Come on. And so, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? There's a great question. Because if you are continuing to practice sin, then one of two things is exposed. Number one, then it potentially you may not yet be born again. If your life is still filled with the daily practice of sin where it is, ex- it is expected and accepted as who you are, then perhaps you have never received that breath of God causing you to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Because when you get born again, it's not in your heart to do those things. And if you are still, you say, but pastor, it is in my heart. And I know that I'm born again. Then you've got the flesh that you've got to learn to deal with. Come on. And this passage empowers us and teaches us how to deal with it, especially when we get over to the eighth chapter. He said, how should we who are, have died to sin, what does that mean? We'll talk about it in a moment. Live any longer in it. Or do you not know? This is us. As many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Now remember as Paul is writing this, in the first century, salvation and water baptism were almost seen as synonymous. They were almost in because when you got saved, when you said, man, remember, let's take for a moment in, Philipp- or in Acts chapter number 16 at Philippi. When the jailer in the midnight hour, when the walls, you know, broke up, when Paul and Silas prayed because they were in the jail, and, and, and when their, the shackles came undone, and, and when the, the keeper of the prison came in thinking that all men had scurried away and fled off in the darkness, and Paul said, we're all right here. We haven't led, left. The Philippian jailer, he cried out, fell down before him. He said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and you shall be saved. And that very night, 
That very night, they didn't put off baptism for several weeks. That very night, they found water somewhere in Philippi, and they took him and his family, and he was baptized in water. So it was almost synonymous. Now, you and I don't look at the act of baptism as something that produces salvation for us, but rather it reveals what God's already done in our heart and lives. It's an outward representation of an inward work of grace. Come on, somebody. But so when Paul is saying this in the mind of the first century reader, then it's synonymous so that as you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. What were you baptized into first? Not into his resurrection, but you were baptized into his death because the reality is he died on the cross and he, we died with him. As we were baptized in essence, and we're going to baptize hopefully next Sunday morning, as we baptize in water, then what we're saying is that we join with Jesus and his death on the cross. That the old person, who we used to be, our old appetites, our old desires, our sinful nature, our Adamic nature that we received because we were born sinners, it died with Christ Jesus and it's being buried right now. Come on, somebody. And that's why he's saying how if you died to sin. So let's read further. Paul explains it more eloquently than I can preach it. He said, you were baptized into Christ. You were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now, let's think about that for a moment of time. Jesus said, no man takes my life. Freely I have the power to lay it down. Freely I have the power to take it up again. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus gave up the ghost. He bowed his head. His spirit descended. We believe it descended into the lower parts of the earth. His body was lifeless. Physically, Jesus died. Spiritually, he's still alive. He's functioning. He's fulfilling the will of God. I don't have time to preach that sermon. His spirit is still alive. But physically, his body is lifeless. His head hangs on his shoulders. His blood drips from the cross. His blood drips from his body. He has no life in him. The cross is laid on the ground. Somebody takes large metal tongs. They pull the spikes out of his hands. They pull the spikes out of his feet. They take him they wrap him in a cloth and they put him in the borrowed tomb of joseph of arimathea a roman centurion comes along and seals the tomb shut it's shut jesus of nazareth is dead he's dead to all emotion he's dead to affection he's dead to desire now his body can no longer lust his body can no longer think uh, evil his body can no longer want food his body cannot do anything it's lifeless it's in the grave it's dead and when we accepted christ we died with him the old us went into that tomb did you know that now when we went to Israel three years ago Jojo Shane and myself we stood in that tomb or what is believed by many to be that tomb and we looked at the cold stone where perhaps Jesus himself physically lay and for three days three days time the lifeless body of Jesus Christ lay on that cold stone but on the first day of the week Before the angel could arrive and before the women could come with spices to embalm his body, the Spirit of God that had hovered over the world in the genesis of time once again hovered over the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and the lifeless body of Christ suddenly began to warm again. Emotion came back in. Feeling came back in. Thought came back in. Come on, somebody. And Jesus Christ opened his eyes, took off of the garment that shielded and shrouded his face, and he got up the resurrected son of almighty God with the keys to death, hell, and the grave in his hand. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
And did you know what? He did not wait on an angel to roll the stone away so that he could get out because in his resurrected power, he could walk right through the wall, right through the stone because he's now a resurrected body empowered by the power of the Holy Ghost. He can be here in the flesh in one minute and be gone the next because of the resurrection power of the Spirit that's on the inside of him. Hallelujah. Isn't that exciting? And think about this, that body that died once will not die again. There'll be no Roman soldier's spear that would pierce his heart ever again. Come on, because of of the power of his resurrection and the power of the Spirit. But let's read further. So let's see what he said with this. Let's connect the dots. So we understand now that he was raised from the dead. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. Think about the glorious Jesus for just a moment of time. If you thought he was powerful before when he could walk on water, when he could open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears, what about the, the resurrected? That was the son of man and the son of God. Now he's the son of God. Come on, somebody with the life and the power of God on the inside of him. And he can transcend time and space, no longer bound to being in one place at one time. He is the spirit of God embodied in Christ Jesus. He's got life and power and unction and anointing. He is Christ. He's the Lord of glory. The King of kings, all will one day bow before him. There is none like Jesus our Lord. He is raised again, he said, just as if Christ, isn't that what he said, sixth chapter, fourth verse, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and he would live and walk differently even than he did before, and he was without sin before. But now, even so, we... Come on now, church family. That's why there's no reason to have a dead church. That's no, there's no reason why the church ought to be morbid and antiquated without life and without feeling and without expression and without anointing because we are the raised again, resurrected children of the Most High God, born of the Holy Ghost, walking in newness of life. Just as Jesus got up off of the grave, we also should walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm a new me. Come on, I'm different than I used to be. It's a new way of life. It's a new way of thinking. The old man is out. The new man is in. Come on, somebody. That's why we're radical. That's why we get beside ourselves. That's why we clap more in here than we do at the ball game. That's why our excitement is more bound to what Jesus did than what the world can offer us. Come on, because all the joys and the successes of this world will one day fade away. But what he did in us is eternal. Hallelujah. And I'm going to walk differently. That's why when you get genuinely saved, we don't have to wait to see. Come on, because there's a genuine change that has taken place inside of you. Even the devil will be able to recognize it. I wonder if the devil's got a big board, a marker board. And the moment that somebody, with everybody on it, and the moment somebody, all of a sudden, you know, the, a, a little peg... It's moved from here to there because he just lost that one because we are now in the kingdom of God. Come on. And we, the expectation, this is God's expectation for you that you will walk in newness of life. Come on, differently than you used to walk. Let's go down. Let's let it unfold. It's right at the noon hour. Just have, I've only been preaching a little while, but it's good either way. But let's read on further, a little bit further. For if we have been united together, 
in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. He's not speaking of our resurrection at this time. Thank God for the hope of resurrection from the physical body. Come on, that gives us great comfort. Only the church has this comfort. You know, that's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I write unto you that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. We have hope. The last enemy, 1 Corinthians 15, that shall be defeated is death. The last is our physical enemy. We still all age and die. I've told you I've got, we've got a dear brother, Harold Chance, right now. going, and It's the process of death that's working. It's pain for all who are around us. But death kind of still resounds in one level that it seems like it wins when someone uh, you know, loses their battle with cancer or loses their battle with sickness. But listen, Christ won the ultimate victory. And so one day, come on. We will laugh last. He who laughs last will laugh the loudest. And we will laugh last when one day our physical body is resurrected like his eternal body. But as powerful as that is, he's not speaking of that physical resurrection. He's talking about a spiritual resurrection in this passage. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. But we all have an old man. I know some of you wives are saying, I've been knowing that for a long time. Lord, I didn't write it. I just read it. (laughs) Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, oh my God, hallelujah. I know I run slow, but I got to run on that. That we should no longer be a slave to sin. Hallelujah. Pastor, I'm an addict. I'm all, No, you are no longer under the obligation to sin. The power of the resurrected Christ is on the inside of you. Every transgression, every iniquity, everything that you were once bound to, you are free by the power of the resurrected Christ who's on the inside of you, and you can overcome every area of your life. Hallelujah. The old man is done away with. And we are no longer slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Come on. It doesn't hold its power over you. We're going to stop at the 14th verse. I already see we'll, that we'll, we'll just call that our stopping point. We'll know it in advance. That'll make you rest a little easier. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him. Isn't that right? Both physically and spiritually. Knowing that Christ having... Now, now here's where the analogy... He begins to look at Christ. Now, Christ did not sin. How many of you believe that? He was the sinless son of man and the son of God on the cross. He was sinless. We believe that. But he had the potential to sin. If he didn't have the potential, then the temptation was not really a temptation. But Hebrew says he was tempted and tried, just like you are, in all aspects of sin, but without sin. Right? So, but, so, so consider Christ. But when he died that day on the cross, the body that could have sinned previously could no longer sin. Right? Because it's dead. Because a dead body can't sin anymore. Right? That's what he's using this analogy. He said, Christ has been raised from the dead and he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Notice this. Let's read further. For the death that he died, 
He died to sin once for all. Once he was dead to it, there was no more temptation in his physical person. There was no longer any way physically for him to be tempted with sin. I believe that Jesus faced daily temptation. We know he faced temptation on the mountain. He faced temptation from people accusing him and falsely accusing him, and he wouldn't sin. He was mute like a sheep before the slaughter when he was falsely accused. He, could, he was tempted in the garden of Gethsemane to leave and vacate the cross, right? But he submitted himself to the will of God in everything. And how many of you know that's what it means to walk holy before God, is to submit yourself to the will of God in everything. So he died in his death. He died to sin once and for all. So uh, think about that. He was tempted to sin even on the cross. On this side, one thief said, well, why don't you just curse God and die, if you will? That's paraphrasing. He was tempted right there by even a thief at his side, right just moments before he passed away. But the moment that he gave up the ghost, his body no longer has the capacity to sin. Notice this. But the life that he now lives, he lives to God. So when he was raised from the dead, come on, he came out of that grave a whole new person. Come on now, walking even differently than he did before, even though he walked holy before. Now, this, look at this 11th verse. I love this. It's an accounting term with a little bitty of hillbilly connotation to it. Likewise, you also reckon. Now, that's actually an accounting term because it means to account. But I like it because it, I think it originated somewhere around Wilburn. Because when I was raised up out there, we used to say, I reckon quite a bit. So now you need to reckon. Reckon is when you perceive something in this context. I count myself. I count myself to be dead indeed to sin. Now, Amber is not here this morning. She was in Hot Springs in church for special services down there. But she's been known amongst the other kids in her rebuttal to some of their foolish things that they do as children, this is my middle daughter, Amber, the second of mine and Sherry's children, she would say, you're dead to me. <laughs> yes, I will pay. Make sure she doesn't get this CD. She would say, you're dead to me. Now, we know that was in jest, but this is what he's saying. You've got to reckon yourself to be dead to sin. You just got to tell yourself, I'm dead to sin. Sin, you're dead to me. Come on. Addiction, you're dead to me. Pastor, that's foolish. No, that's faith. That's what it is. The world can't understand this. But God said, by faith, you can look at the things that used to control you. But once the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you, you now have an ability to say no to what you used to always say yes to. Come on, that's what grace does. Grace doesn't just empower you or give you a license. No, grace never gives you a license to sin. Rather, grace empowers you to walk holy before God. Now, out of a pure heart, you can simply say, I'm going to live to God. And he said, I'm going to be dead to sin. I, and, and Joe's right on it this morning. So you got to just talk. Talk this thing out. 
talk to things, speak to things, speak to mountains, speak to habits, speak to addictions, speak to your past, speak to your future. Come on, somebody. You're dead to me, sin. Addictions and curses of generations and all the things that my family and, and crystal meth and smoking marijuana and all these things, you're dead to me. I'm walking holy before God. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. My daddy may have been an alcoholic. My brother may have been, but not me. I'm dead to that. I've been made alive the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells on the inside of me and I can live holy before God. Come on, I've been redeemed by the power of Jesus' blood. I've been empowered by the Holy Ghost. You're dead to me, habits. You're dead to me, addictions. You're dead to me, lust. I don't need pornography. I don't need that drug. I, I can live and serve God because the same spirit that went into the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea now dwells on the inside of me and I'm living life in a whole new realm. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Daryl, join me on the platform and we'll close this morning. Let's read a little bit further. So reckon yourself. Is that a word that y'all use often? You need to. Reckon yourself. I know you use it any other ways. Well, I reckon. Mom and the kids are saying, well, mom, can I go? I reckon. But now, you see, I reckon myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Now, the flesh has not yet been redeemed. The desire to sin abides in your flesh. It's not in your heart. You've been saved. you got a new heart. And it's not always in your mind because many times in our mind, we want to serve God. But our flesh craves its own appetites, has its own appetites. And so... Other teachings will teach us later that we must mortify those fleshly desires. The word mortify means we must put them to death. He said, so do not. Now, Paul would not write something that he did not believe that you had the power to accomplish. Are y'all with me today? It's almost like we teach people. We have taught people in error. Now, when you get saved, now you're going to sin. What kind of foolishness is that? I don't raise my children. Now, you're going to sin. No. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. You say, well, pastor, what if I miss the mark? Well, then I ask God to forgive me and I press on. But I'm not going to train you to sin. That's foolishness before God. I'm going to tell you the Spirit of God's on the inside of you. And you could do what you normally could not have or previously could not have done. Does that make sense? And I understand what people are doing. They're trying to lessen the impact if somebody does sin. But First John already supplies that. My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So even if I have sinned in my process of sanctification, there's one that's standing up there arguing that I'm still justified before God. So that's another sermon altogether, but we'll let that go. But that's good right there, isn't it? We have an advocate. Come on. We have an advocate this morning. A defense attorney who stands between you and the accusation of the enemy. And he pleads our call. So therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And notice this. We close with these two verses. These are so powerful. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So again, the very same body. You have not been delivered physically from the body 
that you have been given on this side of eternity. We, all, we, we still live in our own physical body. So the instruments that you used to yield as an instrument of unrighteousness, what does that mean? That means whatever you used to do with your physical body, you no longer have to do. But you can take that same body now because there's a power in you that you didn't previously have. And you can yield that same, think about that, the very same hands that used to steal can now give. Come on, the very same eyes that used to look upon things that were immoral or the very same ears that used to listen to things that were immoral can now hear the word and the eyes can now see revelation of truth. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So I present myself as members uh, not of unrighteousness to sin, but I present myself to God as being alive from the dead. I'm alive from the dead, aren't you? And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. God wants you to use the, your faculties and your physical body for His service. You say, Pastor, I don't feel clean. Now, it's not about your feeling, it's about faith. It's about reckoning yourself that you have been acquitted before God because of His justification that He's given to you through Christ Jesus and recognizing that you are a new creature in Christ. And by faith, you yield yourself as an instrument to God. Lastly, 14th verse, last verse we'll read today. For sin shall not have... Come on, somebody, isn't that powerful? Come on, because we know what sin, we know what the condemnation that accompanies sin. We know the mess that gets created in our lives because of sin. Come on, we do. Because sin is not just the act. There's always the consequence. Come on. And there's always this entanglement that happens. And, and so it affects us. And we can have sinned years ago and still be living in the, the leftover effects of what took place a long time ago. And so we know all of that is present. And he said, but sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law. There's what grace is. You are not under law, but you are under grace. So let's close it with this. Mercy takes the sinner and says, you're forgiven. How? On what basis? Well, somebody, I'm just, in my mind, I see things that y'all probably don't see. I know y'all think, our preacher's beside himself. <laughs> but in my mind, I, I, I have an imagination here that I'm seeing something. So I'm seeing an individual who's guilty. Mercy says you're forgiven. Based upon what? Somebody paid the penalty. Your crime, justice demanded a just penalty. God is holy and God is just. We had sinned by action because we were born sinners. First we were born sinners, then we transgressed the law ourselves. We were guilty. All of us were guilty before God. You know, that's why the world does, the world, the, you know, men love darkness rather than light. Is that right? And so the world's got to hear, got to hear. And it, the law helps us. It causes sin to abound that we realize we need a Savior. Jesus Christ gave his blood on the cross. There's the gospel right there. That's the gospel. He gave his blood so that God could now extend mercy to you and I. That's what mercy did. So now you're acquitted. Now you're called just before God, correct? Justified. 
justification is by faith so now I'm just but God didn't leave the equation there that's what's so marvelous about God God now says I'm going to give grace to you I'm now going to take this person who just moments earlier was a sinner an adulterer a fornicator a drunkard one bound by whatever you were in your sin the moment you turn your heart to Christ and you move from darkness to light now that you accept the mercy and the pardon now God says now I'm going to favor your life wow I've heard about again our judicial system when people have paid the penalty for their crime they unlock the jail if there was any money on their account they'll give it to them might be 50 to 100 bucks whatever clothes they had get in the little sack they'll unlock the door walk them to the edge of the compound close the door and they're on their own is that right there's no favor right only now acquittal but God commended his love towards us while we were sinners Christ died not just to acquit us of our transgressions but to give us grace by faith we have access into this grace wherein we now stand so now God breathes on us the Holy Spirit and he empowers us to do what we could not previously have done we can now live holy before God you can that's what grace does and then you get the revelation that God every day you grow in your revelation of the love for God of his love for you it's not that we first loved him that's what John said how many of you know it's not that we first loved him it was that he first loved us come on that's the gospel of Jesus Christ he favors your life so now the thing that caused man to stumble in the Genesis sin no longer has control over us we're not bound to it Mm-mm. nope don't give me those excuses I don't want to hear it come on somebody else may pacify you in your sin no sin it's on the board in front of you I didn't write this God gave it to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul sin shall not have over you come on come on now let that sink in sin shall not mm-mm. it shall not I'll walk new I'll walk in newness of life won't you won't you stand up with me today let's pray a two-fold prayer it's about seven minutes after no 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 that would be uh, borrowed time 16 minutes after 12 o'clock today